everybody, Scott Burnside, back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, and I'm going to apologize ahead for you, Pierre Lebrun, because you just apologized to me before we started to record. You may be slightly distracted. It seems to me that whenever we do these podcasts three or four days ahead of the trade deadline, it's always like that. You're a little, you know, like, are you looking at your phone right now while we're talking? Yes. <laughs> so, I uh, uh, now, what's this like for you? I, like, uh, you're in a group of reporters, and of course, Bob McKenzie, Darren Dreger, our pal uh, Elliot Friedman, Chris Johnson, lots of national guys who this time of year is both exhilarating and stressful. Where, where are you at right now in, in terms of running in the red line? Are you scale it one to 10? Where are you at? What was your question? <laughs> you were listening. I know you were listening. Yeah, it's uh, you're basically on your phone all day. No question. You know, you're you're trying to uh, decipher, uh, you know, through the signals uh, what's going on and how the market's changing. Yesterday was a great day. You know, lots of defenseman trades and domino effect and teams reacting quickly. And um, that's what it is at this time of year, no question. Yeah. Well, let's let's start with the, you know the recent news of the day, and and you know literally as we're taping this, we may have to stop because something else may happen. But I, I like to think of yesterday, so the, the early in the week before the trade deadline. Uh, I like to think of it as the Michael Kempney day, where there were how many did we get? Well. We have three defensemen move, right, all within a very short period of time. Um, Marco Scandella and uh, Dylan DeMello and Brendan Dillon, right? And I used Michael Kempney as that sort of reference point because, of course, two years ago, um, Brian McClellan made one and at the time a fairly under-the-radar move in, in adding defenseman Michael Kempney, and it turned out to be something that was absolutely pivotal to the Capitals uh, going forward and winning a Stanley Cup. Kempney and plays ended up playing, for the most part, with John Carlson, allowed Brooks Orpik to move down in that defensive alignment, and the Capitals uh, you know, won their first ever Cup. And I, I don't know whether you see what happened um, on Tuesday of this week. Do you see, is there a possibility? Is I mean, is Brendan Dillon maybe Michael Kempney redux for the Capitals who have hit a bit of a wall right now? Or is, you know, is Dylan DeMello a guy in Winnipeg who pushes that team into a playoff spot? We've already talked that we like the Jets. If they get in, they're going to be a handful. What What do you make of it? Well, I think DeMello's probably... Uh the better equivalent to Kempney as far as, you know, it's not a huge headline grabber, right? But a guy that I think is under the radar. I think Brendan Dillon's a bigger deal. I mean, there are a lot of teams that were in on Brendan Dillon. And, For sure. And that was probably, you know, the biggest trade yesterday. So I, I think from that perspective, it's not like the Caps and acquiring Brendan Dillon or, or went under the radar on that one. I mean, he was a sought-after uh you know, number four slash number five defenseman with a ton of playoff experience, huge physicality, great penalty killer, um, you know, terrific teammate, absolutely beloved in San Jose. So I don't know that you, that I would draw a direct line between Kempney and Dylan because from that perspective, I think, you know, it's hard to hide the value that he brings <laughs> in the moment, I guess is what I'm saying. Whereas Kempney's value sort of rose from a lower expectation a couple of years ago. But interesting trade for Washington. I mean, it's funny. I, I wrote this in my rumblings, but I was talking to another GM a couple of days ago, and I said, you know, I hear Washington's part of the list of teams that are inquiring on Brendan Dillon. And he goes, come on, how many how many, how many, many scary players do they need? <laughs> and, uh, and it is true, right? I mean, uh, you know, Tom Wilson and... Garnet Hathaway and Ratko Gudis and now Brendan Dillon, who is uh, has no fear, and um, yeah. you know not to mention that number eight uh, is maybe one of the best body checkers in the league himself. So that's a that's a beefy team uh, to go with all that skill in Washington. Yeah, well, and it's interesting that you know, and my guess is that Brian McClellan would have been looking at that kind of ad, regardless of of, of what was going on in the moment with his team. But it, uh, to me, it's it's interesting in, in a very short period of time, and we've talked to 
you know, we talked about the cap slots and we had Doug Armstrong, the GM of the St. Louis Blues on just before the All-Star break in, uh, in the All-Star game in St. Louis. And to me, it's interesting. Both those teams have really hit a bit of a wall right now, right? I mean, in fact, the Capitals, as we're speaking today, have relinquished for the first time in months, uh, first place in the Metropolitan Division, Pittsburgh. Unbelievable. I mean, Jason Zucker fitting right in with Sidney Crosby, uh, pounding the Leafs the night before we taped this. And they've moved into first place in the Metropolitan Division. And and over in the Central, the Blues have seen, similarly, a huge lead disappear. Um, both Dallas and Colorado nipping at their heels. Um, and so, I, I, like, do you... Maybe it was to be expected, right? You can't, you don't want to, and Tampa showed this, you don't want to go wire to wire, you know, coasting along. But both those teams now are in a position where, okay, does it change how you approach it? And certainly, Brendan Dillon, I think, is an important message to that Capitals uh, room, and especially given they've struggled defensively over the last three or four weeks. What do you, what do you make of those two teams? Yeah, I like that Brian McClellan acted. Uh, you know, the caps have been fading a bit, and I think this gives them a bit of a jolt. And frankly, you know, the blue line is the area where I wanted him to add uh, just to get a little more depth there, right? Um, I don't know that they need anything up front. Now, I know that they've been linked to Chris Kreider by a lot of people, and I do think there was interest there, and there may still be, by the way. But I think that's harder to do now that you've done the, the Dylan deal, you know, um, I think the blue line addition was uh, was the priority and the right one for, for Brian McClellan. Uh, and again, what, what I like about Brendan Dillon is that you bring a guy that, I mean, all the San Jose Sarks have done forever is go deep in the playoffs. And so he brings all that experience with him um, to a team that hopes to win a Stanley Cup. And uh, yeah, I, I, I like the, you know, I like the deal. It's, it was a high price and I, you got to credit Doug Wilson because I think, you know, when I talked to a couple of teams yesterday morning, about the asking price, which was which I had stumbled across, a second and a third, there were teams saying, ah, I don't know if he's going to get that for Brendan Dillon. Well, he did. Yep. And he did because of the interest. You know, I, I think Vegas uh, and St. Louis were definitely among the bidding teams on Brendan Dillon. In fact, Doug Armstrong and the Blues GM uh, said it on the record to uh, Jeremy Rutherford and the St. Louis media yesterday after acquiring Marco Scandella that he had inquired on Dillon but I think Vegas might have tried even harder. Um, of course, the Brendan Dillon, Pete DeBoer connection, right? Um, yeah. Now, the Alec Martinez deal has not been uh, made official yet, by the way. But as Bob McKenzie first reported late yesterday afternoon, um, you know, Alec Martinez appears headed to uh, to the Vegas Golden Knights, which was a you know a quick and smart reaction by the Golden Knights if the deal gets done to. You know, recover from not getting Dylan, but making sure that they do improve their blue line, and which I think was—I don't know what you feel, but I thought that was paramount for Vegas, who is surging. By the way, the Golden Knights are playing some of their best hockey of the year, but I think adding to that blue line was really important for them uh, if they're going to go deep. Well, uh, yeah, I couldn't uh, couldn't agree more. And, and to me, this is what's been so fascinating about this trade deadline period and we talked about it a little bit last week and it's been even more brought into focus this week and we talk about the blues and of course marco scandela going uh to st louis now does doug armstrong make that move if jay bowmeister doesn't have his <clears throat> cardiac episode uh in anaheim and you know it sounds no, like it clearly thankfully. doesn't obviously right yeah. yeah exactly so that's a response it's <clears throat> it's it's one of those science things what action reaction kind of thing so mm-hmm. you know doug armstrong responds there um i'm curious to see what you think and what happens you know oscar clefbaum now out of the uh, edmonton lineup for two to three weeks uh, such a huge part of of a team that has you know they're they haven't fallen right they're not they're still right there in it um you know columbus we talked about out of you know, with Seth Jones gone long term, now they've dropped below the playoff bubble after um, a, a really disappointing loss the, the night before. We're taping this. Uh, do you see? Uh, and the you know the defensive market is you know it's being plucked now. Do we see now we go maybe going to a different level of defensemen? And you know we had Bill Guerin on our podcast a week ago today, just after the Zucker deal, and. 
uh, shockingly, just before he fired Bruce Boudreaux, as it turns out. Uh, but he's got a couple of defensemen under contract uh, longer than this year. Um, Mark Bergevin in Montreal, another team that just uh, a gut-wrenching loss to a very bad Detroit team. He's got a couple of players, including defenseman Jeff Petrie, under contract for another year. Um, the asking prices, you know, whether it's Jonas Borodin and Matt's Dumba in Minnesota, Jeff Petrie in Montreal. The asking price would be through the roof. But do you think we're at a point now where teams are like, okay, maybe we, maybe I have to shift how I'm viewing this trade deadline, and it's not the rental market. It, it's do I have enough assets, and do I have the stomach to go for a player um, with term, which is good, but which will cost me a lot more because of that dynamic. Yeah, I mean that's the intriguing part. I mean, as far as rentals go, obviously Sammy Vatanen and Sammy Vatanen. Would be the top rental left, and I, I do think the Devils will move him before Monday. But then it, it gets interesting. I mean, you also have Chicago's Eric Gustafson you could throw in there. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, Ron Hainsey in Ottawa could be an interesting guy. Um, you know, had the cup run with Pittsburgh, obviously. Um, although I know DJ Smith in Ottawa really likes him, so we'll see if he even moves. But then you're right. It's it's the guys under contract. You know, we know that Bill Guerin has been listening on Dumba and Brodine. I, I don't. I feel more and more that Brodine at least will stay put. But he's listening, and and yeah. you know it would take a team to really step up. I mean, the reality is Brodine would look unbelievable in Florida. I mean, that's exactly what the Panthers need. But I don't know if they have the parts to get it done. And yeah, they're listening on Vincent Trocheck, but that alone wouldn't get them Brodine, I don't think, unless you disagree. I think it, it, it would they would need more uh, yeah. in terms of the value that Brodine brings, his cap number, and he's a top left-handed D who can play both sides. Um, you know, Jeff Petrie, you mentioned, uh, I was just talking to a source today that thought that it's like a 95% chance that Petrie stays put, that the, the Canadians value him so much. And the Canadians want to compete next year, right? So how are you replacing Jeff Petrie and his 20 minutes a night if you trade him? Um, and so, you know, I'm not ready to say 100% he's not moving because, again, I think the Canadians are also in a position where they have to listen. And and if a team really, really over, you know, is ready to overspend and make the kind of deal that is impossible to reject, then I guess that's there. But certainly right now, I think Montreal's leaning towards... Uh, keeping Jeff Petrie as, you know, as they probably should. Right. Well, So you mentioned um, the Florida Panthers. I, I It's so fascinating to me to see just how things are, uh, appear to be shaking out in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, it's still 20, 20 games, 22 games, whatever it is left. So, you know, it changes on a nightly basis. But it, there is now some separation with the Metro, so many good teams in the Metro. It, it, it Strikes. I'll be shocked if it's not five teams going to the playoffs from the Metro, right? I think we, you know, could could Florida or Toronto slide into one of those wild card spots, but n- neither of those teams from the Atlantic have played well enough to, I think, to you know, to to look at that as a as an option. So now you've got one spot, the third spot in the Atlantic Division. You've got two teams that are absolutely loaded offensively. You've got two teams that I think you know different kinds of pressure, but. You know, like it would if the Florida misses the playoffs after all they did in the offseason, including bringing in one of the greatest coaches of all time in Joel Quenville, and you miss the playoffs. I mean, that's a that's a monster kick. And of course, the Leafs make the coaching change. Mike Babcock is fired, and now they're playing so poorly that if Florida can actually get their act together, that they could easily knock Toronto completely out of the playoff picture. And I wonder what you think of that dynamic as we head into you know, the final days before the trade deadline, because those two teams, you know, they're just, there's they're so much to like about them, but one of them, in my mind, is not going to make the playoffs. Just as we're taping this, my friend, we've got a little trade to pass on. It doesn't really make sense to do that, because we're taping. <laughs> but <laughs> the, Leafs, right. uh, the Leafs have acquired Dennis Malgin from the Florida Panthers. Since here, we're just talking about Florida. Um Bottom six forward, Dennis Malgin, in exchange for prospect Mason Marchment. So interesting from both perspectives. Obviously, the Leafs are reeling right now. Huge pressure on GM Kyle Dubas to get things done. This isn't a big deal, obviously. But but they could certainly use more from their bottom six. So they bring in Dennis Malgin. 
and we'll see what else this leads to in terms of Florida perhaps opening um, roster spot here so um, so yeah there you go thought I'd pass that on well and interesting that those two teams you know they do this deal but so do you agree I like, pressure do you agree with me and you don't have to right I mean like to miss have disagreed in the either, past which of ever one of those teams, teams misses playoffs, a playoffs come, and I think mm-hmm. that's what's going to happen that, that, that's an enormous this season is a failure it's a, it's a huge failure for either of those teams yeah I, I think probably just slightly bigger in Toronto because I guess it's Toronto right <laughs> Yeah, and well, sure. and you know they've had three kicks at the can. They've they've lost they lost a young Leafs team had their first taste of it against Washington and lost in the first round. Played well, and then everyone was, you know, there was so much optimism about you know the learning curve from that. And then you lose two really tight series to Boston, and now this was a year where the next step was supposed to be there. But you know, people overreact all the time. And I will say this: there's, there's so many good pieces on this Leafs team. I think people, Leaf fans, have to calm down a bit. And um, you know, I think that the adversity that this team is going through eventually will pay off. And you know, they remind me a lot of a young Washington Capitals team in Ovechkin's early years. Yep. And the you know, you and I left the rink year after year, thinking, are they ever going to figure it out in Washington? Right. Um. And I, I, I see some synergy there with this team, with the Leafs, where people are starting to get impatient with what they're seeing. But I just think eventually they'll they'll be better for this adversity. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Although, it, with those Washington teams, they were in the playoffs every year. And, you know, we're talking about a Leaf team that if they can't find a way and... You know they've been they're the the beneficiaries right now because they're technically in third place. They get seventy points, uh, two more than Florida, and Florida's got two games in hand. But uh, you know if if Florida gets it together, and I guess that's why I'm fascinated to see what happens between now and Monday. If Florida gets their act together, um, it, it, the Leafs could be out of the playoffs. And to me, that's the difference between. Um, you know, what Washington went through where they had all that talent and could never find the right combination. But when I mean, you miss the playoffs entirely, like that's a different, that's a different beast, at least in my mind. Yeah, it'd be, it definitely would be a step back. And, and, and you know, listen, it's a year in which, you know, Mike Babcock got fired in Toronto and for Florida, you spent all this money on Bobrovsky. I mean, you're bang on. There, there's a lot riding for, for both teams. Um you know, it's why I think the Panthers are internally thinking about a lot of interesting things. You know, I wrote about the Trocheck possibility. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but I know teams are calling. Um, I think the Leafs are in a more difficult position, Scotty, because the cap, they're really hamstrung with the cap. So that, you know, ideally they'd love to acquire a top four right-handed D uh, who has term left on his deal. So that it's it's like a June deal. Can you make a June deal now? Between now and Monday, exactly. yeah, you know, can you find something that works for Dumba in Minnesota? Can you, uh, you know, um, you know, Buffalo's listening on Ristolainen. Is there a fit there? I don't know that there is before Monday because of the cap. So, um, you know, I think Florida has a little more flexibility, uh, you know, uh, as far as maybe being creative before Monday. Right. I think what's interesting to me is that both those teams, it, you know, in a in a perfect world, they do make another move or some move. I mean, the Leafs already addressed in theory the the you know the, some of the grit issue and the the backup goaltender with the trade with the Kings, uh, with Clifford and uh, Jack Campbell. But um, it, what we're talking about is for either of them really, I think, to make the kinds of ads that they need to. They they're talking about a hockey deal, and you you mentioned the Panthers. They've got a couple of players up front either on attractive deals going forward or on expiring contracts that could be in play, which is, you know, again, such an interesting part of this trade deadline is that you've got teams who may have to make an, uh, an actual hockey move, move as- NHL assets to um, facilitate making their team stronger for that final push to the playoff spot. So, I, you know, it's a interesting time for Kyle Dubas in Toronto and, and Dale Talon in Florida. It's going to be mm-hmm. fascinating to see how they and, how And they aren't they both lucky they're not in the Metro? <laughs> well, that's it exactly. Okay, so I want to ask you. You mentioned the yeah, the Metro, man. Lots going on there. I was in Raleigh, as you know, last week, and the Canes 
uh, big win over Nashville with their moms in attendance and uh, you know Philadelphia, a team that I wasn't quite sure. You know, okay, they lots of moving pieces there, and um, I, I, they're just they have been so impressive to me. Right, they started to you know figure out playing on the road and Carter Hart came back from the injury has been terrific and uh you know they're they have made things very interesting in the metro and as we're chatting today um sitting in third place uh which is are you what's your level of surprise that the Flyers are where they're at right now and the in terms of you know being a team that could could be in the playoff yeah I'm not surprised I mean I I thought they'd make the step this year I mean I guess the only part of it is I thought Nolan Patrick would be a big part of it Right. And, and he hasn't been. And so that's, I guess, the fact they've done it without one of their important centers is is certainly a testament to the depth they have. And it'll be interesting now uh, to see what Chuck Fletcher does, you know, if he goes out and finds a center, which I think he, you know, I, I think he will try. Um, I, I don't know how attainable it is. Like on Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, if, if Ottawa's insisting on a first-round pick, which uh, some people are telling me that they will, I don't think Fletcher will want to pay that, or at least not without strings attached to it. Like, you know, uh, in terms of making a conditional pick. And, you know, I think Ottawa's going to run into that with a few teams because there are teams on that are not exactly sure that either they're going to make the playoffs or last passed around. And you don't want to give up a first-round pick, I think, if we're, a, you know, a, a player that's just going to play one playoff series. So that's, that's going to be an interesting thing on, on Pajot, but, man... 24 goals now for Peugeot. <laughs> he's, I know. Uh, he can really help a playoff team, you know. It's just a terrific defensive player who's now showing a bit of offensive knack. You know, he's not – I don't think he would put up those numbers almost anywhere else in the league because he wouldn't be featured in such a prominent role on, on, sure. on a deeper team. But, you know, I just think he's such a smart player and just be a great pickup for uh, for a playoff team. You know, having said that, obviously the the uh, the Senators, I think, will take one, you know, uh, an important crack at trying to sign him here between now and Monday, and uh, you know, we'll see where that leads. So, you know, it's the the team, and we talked about teams who've had to respond to various injuries, and you know, how, where how that changes their perspective going into the twenty fourth. But I, I I keep waiting. Let's see what Joe Sackick and the Colorado Avalanche are going to do right now. You know, got even they got bad news. They've had various key pieces out at various points of the season, but now Miko Rantanen out long term with an upper body injury. Um, you know, Philip Grubauer has been banged up, and uh, so Frank Hughes has been you know, shouldering a lot of the load there. Um, but that's a that's a cup worthy team. They've got assets. They've got cap space. Uh, you know, I mean, Pajot, especially Nazan Kadri, of course, is, uh, has been injured as well. But it, to me, Pajot makes perfect sense for the Avs. And you, to me, they're a team that you know they they need to make a move, right? They, there's there's lots of there's lots of options out there. And I'm curious to see what happens when the dust clears, where, where the Avs settle into this picture. Yeah, I mean, certainly Kreider would be at the top of the list. Uh, you know, I don't know if Joe Sackick wants to pay that kind of price. I mean, first of all, let's not discount still the possibility of the Rangers re-signing Chris Kreider, right? Right. Um, but, yeah, I think Kreider is going to cost you a first plus a young player plus potentially a, a third part, uh, depending on the right. competition. I think the Boston Bruins have lots of interest in Chris Kreider. Um, so... But I, I'm with you. I, I mean, I think given the injuries and given the fact that even before the injuries, my understanding is that Colorado wanted to add a top nine forward. So now that's just taken on more prominence uh, in terms of the necessity of it, even though, you know, I mean, obviously Kadri's going to be back. Calvert's yep. going to be back. Uh, you know, eventually Rantanen's going to be back, although, uh, you know, perhaps I'm trying to think of the timeline. And I guess he potential of missing the start of the playoffs i'm not 100 percent sure about that um yeah, i think it's yeah it, yeah it's go ahead in that yeah, yeah i was just gonna say i think that's it's it's right along that that line which may factor into 
you know, cap space and stuff like that. But they, the Avs, the Avs can do what they want to do. Really, it's a question of, like you say, how, what's the price, and uh, is it does Joe Sackett fields worth it? But it's uh, yeah. So like, it'll be interesting. Like, do they go for the big fish and Kreider, or do they dial it down just a bit and talk to Montreal about Kovalchuk? I I kind of like Colorado as a landing spot for Kovalchuk myself, right? I mean, yep. Kovalchuk has shown during his time in Montreal here since January 2nd that he's now played on like three different lines. So he's slid up and down their top nine and and, and stayed uh, effective. And, you know, the Avs play the kind of game that I think would bring out Kovalchuk's attributes, don't you? Um, right. You know, and again, he, he, you know, it's not a huge investment for Colorado uh you know, I think the, the the Habs, not the Avs, but the Habs, yep. Habs want at least a second round pick if possible. And and who knows, given the prices paid up for rentals this week, maybe they get a second plus another pick. But um, and I, I should mention, uh, my understanding is that you know, um, Mark Bergevin, the Habs GM, and JP Barry, the agent for Kovalchuk, I've had an ongoing dialogue, and and will here over the next, you know, by the end of the week, figure out what you know, if an extension makes sense and what it would look like before they go to the trade route. I think it's more likely he gets dealt, Scotty, which I think makes more sense in terms of asset management for the Habs, but you can't discount the other possibility that he stays put. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Colorado's kind of an interesting little place. I mean, another team that we know because we've been reporting it all year and they missed out on Tyler Toffoli, but the Calgary Flames need a right shot top six forward in a perfect world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what about Ilya Kovalchuk for the Calgary Flames? Uh, Boston's a team that's long been linked to Kovalchuk, but as I wrote this week, Scotty, I, I, that's a tough sell, I think. I'm not saying it wouldn't happen, but the fact that we know that the Bruins had discussions with Kovalchuk's camp uh, in late December, early January, and decided that they weren't ready to commit to that, to him at that point and then their rivals sign him and he becomes a good story I mean if you're Don Sweeney can you turn around and give the Habs a second round pick for a guy you could have got for free you know what I mean like I know it sounds yeah. silly to even think about but you know because if he helps your team he helps your team but that's a tough pill to swallow if you're Boston uh, given that you could have had him for free it's sort of like Buffalo trading Scandella for a fourth and then he yields a Second, third, he got uh, yeah. I mean, the, the Habs got him for a fourth, and then flipped him for a second and a conditional fourth. Conditional, so it's yeah. pretty good asset management so, yeah, by it, Mark Bergevin. Yeah, now, exactly. having said that, when the Habs got Scandella, they 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 took his full four four plus million dollars salary in January, when a lot of teams don't have the cap space to do that. The Habs did, right? And then they turn around yesterday when his salary is way lower later in the year, and on top of that, eat half of it, retain half right. the salary in the deal with St. Louis and the Blues obviously in a position where they where they needed to address their blue line. My point is yeah. it's easy to look at all that and say, you know, what's Buffalo doing, but there are circumstances and a timeline there that uh, you know, affect the the price of the asset. Right. I shouldn't have even introduced it because it's a bit it is a red herring, but I was just thinking about that. And I just to go back to Cole, you know what I like about him possibly in in Colorado is that that's a team like you're around Montreal a lot more than I am, but my sense is that they they love him in Montreal, and that's why Bergevin's talking about extending him. Uh, and there's no reason he couldn't circle back, trade him before Monday, get a second and a prospect or whatever, and then circle back and and sign him in July. I mean, there's lots of risk to that, but you could do it. But my sense is that he they love him in Montreal, and in Colorado, where that's a team that's still figuring it out. I mean, I know he hasn't won a cup, but he's been to a final. Maybe that's a that's sort of the intangibles plus what he brings to the ice. I, I'm with you. I think that would be a fascinating place for him to land. Yeah, and um, and, and and a motivated player who, you know, I remember talking to him about this, ironically, the night that Ovechkin won his cup. I, I got Ilya Kovalchuk on the phone from, and, and Kovalchuk said, you know, that's why he was coming back. Right, he was coming back because he wanted to win a cup, and I know people, you know, chuckle when they hear that because he ended up signing in LA that summer. But LA was coming off a ninety-eight point season. It just happens that his arrival coincided with the the deep slide and now the the, the necessity of the rebuild in LA. But 
Kovalchuk really wants to win. And I will tell you this, uh, and I've mentioned this before, like the, the team that he really wanted to sign with, I think after LA terminated his deal in, in December was Boston. I mean, I really think Boston was the top of Kovalchuk's list. But again, as I mentioned, it, it didn't work out. And, and the reason it was top of his list is he wants to win a cup. And, and, and you know, whether he ends up in, uh, who knows where he ends up, but Colorado would afford him as good a chance as, as or almost as good a chance as being in Boston, right, uh, to fulfilling that dream. Um, so I'm curious, uh, I want to ask you a couple of things here. You know, I make notes, right? I got a whole notebook and my page is virtually filled with things that I thought we could chat about, but yeah, I want to ask you whether you are, are troubled by this. And I, I did this yesterday, so I don't know whether it's changed overnight, but of the top 10 teams in the NHL point wise, zero from the Pacific division, which is None, none, zero. Five from the Metro, three from the Central, two from the Atlantic. Uh, the Atlantic teams, by the way, first and second overall, Tampa and Boston, Boston and Tampa, I guess, at this stage. I, I, are you troubled by that? Um, you know, I mean, listen, every year good teams don't make the playoffs. And, you know, you look at, you know, there's going to be a good team, maybe two good Metro teams that don't make the playoffs this year that would might end up being, you know, if, you, if they were in the West, they'd be first place in in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Are you troubled by that idea? Or are you just like, listen, that's the, that's the system, and so you just, like, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a moot point. No, I think, I think I'd, I'd be in favor of going back to a 1-8. Um, I, I, I think... You know, especially with the league expanding to a 32nd team, I think it affords the perfect symmetry at some point. But it's funny, I, I don't know if you you were around, but at some point in time, I don't know what event we were at, but Bill Daly was asked about the playoff format, and he happened to mention yeah. that, or maybe it was when when we had Bill on our podcast earlier this year, I don't know. But he happened to mention that, by the way, it's something that basically never comes up. That is, that people have, people don't complain about it nearly as much, and that includes the, the PA, the players, as we do in the media and among the fans. <laughs> so yeah. who knows? Uh, but well, I, I, if I'd you like went one eight, yeah, yeah. Well, if you went one eight, it it's still because there's a preponderance of power in the East. It it, it doesn't really like. I'm just looking now. So if you went one eight, there'd be. Um, Edmonton, Vegas, Vancouver, Calgary, and Arizona would all be in the top eight. So, you know, so there, I mean, it doesn't, I, I guess my, my, the, it's the bigger picture of um, the fact that there are going to be, I guess the point is, there are going to be a lot, a lot more good teams that don't make the playoffs in the East. And, I mean, you know, I guess it doesn't make any sense because you're not going to go 116 anyway. You would never do that because of the, just to me, that the would be ridiculous. All, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was an early '80s odyssey, but that's never coming oh back. Oh my again. gosh! <laughs> it, it, remember, remember the young like, Oilers. The young Oilers played the the uh, veteran championship Montreal Canadiens. I do. In the wacky best series, best of five, I think. Best of five. Best of five. Or maybe yeah. best of three. Yeah, I, I think it might have been a best of three. It's yeah. it's like oh, when you talk about it, it's like you're talking about a completely different league and world right like people like well, that would never happen and you're going actually it did <laughs> it didn't happen very long um you mentioned the oilers and that's a good segue because you are who you are um the consummate pro are you when you look at what the oilers are doing with Connor mcdavid um currently out of the lineup and you see leon dreisaitl and we've seen this dynamic before with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, and it has cut both ways when one of those guys has been out of the lineup and the other has really, really stepped to the fore. Does it change how you view the Hart Trophy as we hit the the deadline period? I mean, Drezel has been a horse, and the Oilers still, you know, they haven't faded with the— Connor McDavid out of the lineup, and Dre Settle's a huge part of that. Do you, does it change how you view those two when you think about the big heart picture? Yeah, I, I, I think we have to seriously consider what Leon Dreisaitl has done 
um, you know, did during McDavid's absence and and yep. consider him elevated in the Hart Trophy conversation, no question. It's funny because the day that the McDavid news came down that he was going to miss time, that was the point I made on, on That's Hockey with Gino Red on TSN, that that it, it's interesting to me how easily the voters of the PHWA, our association, the, the writers who vote for the Hart, gave McDavid the nod at the midseason over McKinnon and and I'm not listen. Connor McDavid is the best player in the world. This is not the argument I'm having, but it, I found it interesting that it was almost like without a second thought that well, yeah, I mean he's the MVP, and you know where would the Oilers be without him? But my point is almost a, a backhanded oversight of what Drysaddle's done this year is what I'm saying. You know, it's like you know we used to always have this conversation. You know how Malkin and Crosby, when they were both healthy in many years, cannibalized each other in the heart vote, right? Well, I mean, I think you can argue that Dreisaitl and McDavid should be doing that to each other this year too in the vote. And and if anything, if you're going to pick one guy over the other now, I, I think you, you would go with Dreisaitl. Although, again, Nathan McKinnon's unbelievable year in Colorado through all their injuries, and now there's more injuries again, I think shouldn't be overlooked either. I don't know if you've looked recently, and I hadn't because it hasn't, you know, like I don't look at it every day. But if you look at the points leaders right now, it, Leon Dreisaitl has a 13 point bulge over Nathan McKinnon and David right. Pasternak. Both guys who I, I think should be, <clears throat> who should be in the Hart Trophy discussion as well. Mm-hmm. But 13 points, that is a country mile. And that, I'm, I'm with you. I just think it's, uh, it, it, listen. Dreisaitl is is an elite talent, and pick a number, top four or five or three or whatever the number you want to put in the world. He's right up there. And I, I just think it's fascinating that it has unfolded this way, and it is it's going to be interesting. And, you know, Connor McDavid, if he comes back in the next, you know, week or whatever it is when he's able to get back, he, you know, he make a, may make a run at the scoring title, but I, I'm with you. I think this has been a real eye opener and, and I think it's important for, I just think it's been important because he is that kind of player and good for him for, you know, for shouldering this kind of load. They're right in the hunt and they, it, you know, if they faded, we'd have just gone, oh, okay, well, that's understandable. That's what happens. But they haven't. They've done that. And like I said, I really, I don't think that was the intent of the voters at the uh, at the midseason, you know, midseason right. hard vote by the PHWA. But it just came yeah. across to me as not really putting enough time into what Drexel had done as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Although, so you know, who I'm, knows? Like I, I, yeah, I, I still just to watch the way that. McDavid had done so much. Like I wasn't troubled by that vote, right? Like, I, and I can't remember where Drysaddle figured into that, but it, it is—he's just been, and he's just been terrific and good for the Oilers. And you know, that's a—you know—it's going to be fun. It, I, I think. It, listen, playoffs are fun when the best players are in there. And if McDavid and Drysaddle are in the playoffs, that. That's going to make for an interesting spring. I don't care who they play. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And important for the Oilers franchise if they get in, you know. I mean, that's, you know, part of this delicate dance for Ken Holland as he approaches Monday's trade deadline, by the way, uh, is yeah. how important it is early on in his tenure as GM to to show Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl that this isn't going to be this perpetual you know, one step, you know, one step forward, one step back. That that there's a plan, and that this team is going to continue to move forward. And I think it will under Ken Holland. But at the same time, you can't uh, lose your mind and trade a first round pick for a two month rental, right? So it, it's so fascinating to me how Ken Holland has multiple objectives here, not just over the next week, but over the next several months in terms of moving the program forward while yes caring about getting in now right so can you have your can you have your uh you know can can you get everything done here this year in terms of the short and the long term and that's what you know that's what the Oilers are trying to attempt here yeah do you know what I forgot to do right off the top? Because we were started talking about your own stress factor. Is it? I forgot to mention that we're going to talk with uh, Pittsburgh Penguins GM Jim Rutherford. 
And mm-hmm. I feel bad that we didn't say that off the top, but we are going to hear from him in uh, in a short while. But uh, before we close out this section of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, um, we should always listen. You should be listening to all the athletic podcasts, uh, but you should definitely listen to uh, Mike Russo because this week he's going to be chatting with Eric and Henry Stahl. Eric, of course, a player, and you know, interesting debate. I know that Mike wrote about it. Is he a Hall of Fame guy? It'd be interesting to see where he fits there. But with his father, Henry Stahl, uh, so he'll be on Straight from the Source on theathletic.com this week. And it, it would be remiss if we finished this podcast without mentioning the departure of Bruce Boudreaux, uh, a guy I know both you and I have a, a ton of time for and have no doubt that he will be back coaching sometime. I mean, Hard to imagine any more coaching moves this regular season, but there have been eight already. But it was int- I, it just seemed it was such a surprise. I was taken completely by surprise at that point, given that the Wild had crawled back into the playoff hunt, that Bruce Boudreaux was dismissed by uh, Bill Guerin and uh, Dean Evason now. Is Bill should have given us the news on our podcast. What the no heck? No kidding, right? I, 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 I chided him a little bit on that, but no, he's. <laughs> But, you know, it is going to be an unbelievable offseason given the roster of veteran coaches, veteran, award-winning, cup-winning coaches that are in the marketplace. Like, I can't think of any other summer, assuming that there isn't a move between now and the end of the regular season. I can't imagine any other offseason where it has been like this. Can you? No, I mean that's a lot of quality there in the coaching free agent class, and uh, which is exciting on the one hand in terms of of you know the fireworks of it all, but also probably a little nerve wracking for coaches that are some coaches that are in place right now. <laughs> right, sure. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see it all plays out. We also have some interim situations around the league, right? New Jersey, Dallas, and, uh, and Calgary. Um, but you know, in Dallas in particular, I don't know how you couldn't make Rick Bonus a permanent coach if the Stars end up in the Western Conference Final, for example. I don't know. We'll see. Um, you know, that's why the playoffs are so yep. important. Same with Jeff Ward in Calgary, right? Let's see how the Flames do, how their season ends. But uh, you know, I, I think I I was pretty confident that Bill Guerin would make a coaching change at the end of the year. Uh, just because Boudreaux's deal was up, he didn't hire him, you know, all the obvious things, I think, but that it happened when it happened, certainly, you know, I think it suggests, well, I I think there was a bit of friction over, you know, some of the personnel decisions and and, and so on. And that happens. Uh, And so that's why that ended up the way it ended up. But I tell you what, Gerald Gallant, Bruce Boudreaux, Mike Babcock, Peter Laviolette, my goodness, (laughs) that's a, that's a who's who, and uh, um, uh, you know it'll be fascinating to see if. I mean, I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure Mike Babcock uh, wants to coach again. By the way, yep. I'm not yep. saying that he doesn't. I'm just saying he has not indicated to anyone that he is. So until we know otherwise, I, I think you have to not quite know what the future holds. And. He, the Leafs owe him 5.8 million US a year for the next three years, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So there is that. Well, and it'll be interesting. You know, we've talked, you know, you know where does Seattle fit, fit into this? Of course, they've got, you know, we're, we're a full year and a bit before the actual expansion draft. And, you know, when is the appropriate time or the, the optimum time to hire a coach, right? I mean, you don't want to waste your money. And, but where, you know, when is there, when's, Ron Francis feel the best time to name the first ever coach for that team. And you wonder if given this array of high profile, successful, award winning, cup winning, um, high, uh, you know, intensity coaches, is this the time, right? Is there ever going to be a time when Ron Francis is maybe going to have you know, I'm not saying that all these guys would instantly take a job in Seattle, but he this may be sort of the greatest opportunity he's going to have to really sort through the kind of coach he wants and all those kinds of things. And you wonder if this is, you know, does it 
prompt him to make a decision sooner than later as opposed to maybe waiting into next season. I, I, I don't know. But there's it's certainly fun to imagine which of those guys might be a great fit in Seattle. And, and I, I think I think you make case for all of them. I think Bruce would be terrific there given his personality and, mm-hmm. and what he gets from underachieving lineups. I mean, I... He would, but I think it's hard. How could you possibly argue Jorah Gallant wouldn't be the best pick given yeah, what he did no, in Vegas? <laughs> I mean... Well, uh, that's... Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know that you could beat, you know, Expansion 2.0 and, you know, doing it again with the same coach. I mean, uh, that probably would be my pick. But again, I mean, all those guys would... You know, Mike Babcock has the WHL history out there and uh, with Spokane and, you know, Peter Laviolette uh, as coach a lot of different types of lineups. I mean, I, I, I could make the argument for all four in Seattle. And to your yeah. point, you know, not to be too blunt about it, but it comes down to money, right? Uh, you know, it costs money for Seattle to hire a coach this summer and the, he's not coaching his first game till the fall of 21. You're paying a coach for a year to do nothing. Let's be honest. I mean, obviously they would put him out to, to do some pro scouting and, help with the expansion process but i'm just saying there's a reason why seattle uh originally had thought that the earliest it would hire a coach is january of 21 for for those reasons right, right? it's yeah. just practical as all but maybe they do um soften that and say we we can't miss out on some of these guys right and and yeah. maybe there's a way to do it financially i don't know where where you know we're you make it where perhaps, you know, the guy makes a little less money in year one because there's no games and then his real deal starts in, you know, year two, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I guess you could be creative. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, as I said, we're going to talk to Jim Rutherford. Before we uh, – is there anything else on your mind? Anything you want to – something you want to say? You want to – you got something that you want to get off your chest before we uh, we talk to Hall of Fame GM Jim Rutherford? I just think it's going to be what fascinates me about the next week here before Monday's deadline are the deals that you just don't see coming. You know, like the Reynolds are all, I mean, we know who the Reynolds are. We know most of them are going to move. I'm always fascinated in the cap system, especially in the last five years because of the difficulty attached to it. How many June deals are we going to see before Monday? How many teams are going to be able to get some of their off season work done? Uh, before the off season, and, and so that that's the type of deal that is way more interesting to me. I mean, I, I think of Buffalo, for example, and, and I know teams are calling and Rasmus Ristolainen. If they trade Ristolainen before Monday's deadline, it, 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 it's a hockey deal. It's something that is 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 about is way more about the next few years than it's about anything that has to do with this year, right? Normally, those trades are done in the off season, so it's going to be interesting to me if there's enough of a bite there that whether or not the Sabres pull that off before Monday's deadline. You know, similar to Florida with some of their guys that are signed, Trocheck, etc. I just think that's where the real intrigue is. What's and I'll I'll leave this. My intrigue now is a in general how the New York Rangers are going to proceed. Right, as you mentioned, is still the chance they keep Chris Kreider. I. Uh, it, it, to me, that's a difficult thing. You've got Tony D'Angelo on the back end as an RFA who's going to break the bank because of his terrific season. But and maybe you can keep them all there. Um, but what about the goaltending? And it has it's gone away that like everyone knew this was going to happen, right? At some point, they have two young, fine young goaltenders, and you've got Henrik Lundqvist towards the end. He's got one more year left on his deal, but it really has the dynamics change, right? He's the third guy now there. And it's, you just, I just wonder how that's going to play out is, you know, do they buy him out in, in the first opportunity in the off season? It, like to me, like you say, the trades that you never see coming, like, is there a way that he exits before Monday? Hard to imagine it, but it has definitely, the vibe is different in New York vis-a-vis the goaltending and how it might play out. And I'm, I'm curious to see, where it goes because yeah i I don't know i mean you you know i think larry brooks the great larry brooks made this point in his column this week like you know the fact that lundquist hasn't played he's only played what two he's only started twice since january 11th like yeah something like that yeah even if 
out of nowhere a team you know a team came with a deal that would entice Henrik to wave I mean can you just get on the saddle here after only playing twice as January 11? I don't know maybe you can but I know it, I know it's kind no, of a, I agree it I... just feels to me like an off-season uh an off-season uh exit plan here as opposed to anything before Monday but we'll see yeah yeah, no, it's it, it, it's like those you know like there are so many guys it's it's jarring to you know it's like Joe Pavelski really um, you know jarring to see him in a jersey other than a San Jose Sharks jersey and you know it, if Henrik Lundqvist is somewhere else next year it will it will be so hard to get your head around because he's been so integral to that franchise um, you know he's so, he's he is the New York Rangers for a whole generation of fans and you know it'll, it's going to be interesting to see how it. How it plays out. Yeah, and the other thing to consider with Henrik Lundqvist is that it's not just about hockey in his life, right? He's this incredibly successful, good-looking dude who's who's so entrenched in, in New York uh, for all kinds of business reasons, right? Uh, that, you know, I mean, I know this seems crazy because he hasn't won a cup, but, uh, you know, and I don't know this. I haven't talked to him, obviously, but, you know, Maybe maybe what we think should be the number one thing on his mind right now isn't right. I, I don't know. Like uh, you know, I, I think you got to be careful to just look at it in a vacuum. I mean, his his life's in right. New York, and I think that's important to him. Yeah, no question. All right, as promised, we'll be chatting with Hall of Fame GM Jim Rutherford. All right, as promised, a special treat for Two Man Advantage the podcast Hall of Fame GM. Jim Rutherford joining us. Jim, let's let's just start with when people like when you hear your name. Okay, Hall of Famer Jim Rutherford. And I know it was back in November the ceremony. Do, uh, is can you get used to that? Do you get used to the notion of that's that's who you are now? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a special feeling. It's nice, and you know where it really hits me. It hit me first uh, when somebody handed me a puck one day and said, "Could you?" please put hall of fame 19 on the bottom of it that's nice that's when it really hit home that was uh that was a nice feeling yeah you don't get tired of that do you wear the jacket every day jim or or just like once <laughs> no. a month or no i i don't know i i i never asked what the guidelines are you're supposed to just wear it when you go to the the induction each year or are you allowed to wear it i don't know it's a pretty nice jacket though uh, <laughs> by the way I, I should apologize uh jim you know you you I had a terrific interview with you last week for my uh, continuing my series of Q and A uh, interviews with GMs around the league. So I hope you're not you don't think I'm I'm stalking you right now. As Scott, Scotty thought it'd be great to have you in the podcast, and I agreed. But I hope I hope you don't think I'm uh, I'm boxing you in here. Well, I do. It's trade deadline. You do it every year. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because you're the busiest GM every year at the trade deadline. <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a, it's a great, it's a great place to start because Pierre and I talk about this, and he we, every year at trade deadline he talks about how after the deadline passes he has to go back and basically apologize to GMs like yourself, I'm sure, who, whom he's pestered incessantly for the weeks leading up to it. And I, I wonder is you've already made a big deal in bringing Scotty. Jason I never said I I never said I go back and apologize to GMs. I said I go back and apologize to people. I'm, uh, oh, be people. careful well, there. Be careful. Yeah, GMs, people in the business. But I'm sure at some point you might have apologized to Jim. But I, I just wonder, Jim, for you, do, is it this? Is there a pattern every year at the trade deadline when, as a GM, in terms of the anxiety or things that you, you know, the the feeling of being a GM at the trade deadline? Does it is it different every year, or is there a certain pattern that, okay, I, I know I'm going to feel this way, I know I'm going to have to make these calls, or what's it what's it like for you? You've been you've seen a few of them come and go. Uh, I think it's the same feeling. I think you know there's there's a little nervousness because. Um, you're running out of time to uh, to take care of whatever you have to do, whether it's to uh, move a contract out or whether to bring a certain player in for a certain position. So there's a little anxiety there. Um, you know, some years you don't feel as much pressure to do something, and 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 so you feel a little bit different. But in years that you you really feel that you you need to add another piece or two, there's a, there's there's a lot of anxiety. Probably for uh, probably for about a thirty day period. I, I thought it was interesting when we chatted last week, Jim. You, you mentioned that 
sometimes players uh, need a little more time to adjust when they get to the Penguins and adjust to your system and, and Coach Mike Sullivan. And let's be honest, sometimes adjusting to playing with world-class players like Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. But <laughs> if you if you were concerned about that with Jason Zucker, I guess it's been alleviated just a bit uh, over the last couple of games. And uh, he, he, looks like, uh, he looks like he's been a Penguin for a while, the way he's adjusted. Well, he, he's done a good job. He's played well for us. And, of course, he has the advantage of playing with Sid. Um, and some guys can adjust to playing with him and some can't. But certainly Jason has. But there's still more of an adjustment period for Jason. You know, he's still working on his pace a little bit and how we practice and things. Uh, he, he came from a team that, that had longer practices we have high tempo practices that usually run 30, 40 minutes. Everybody goes hard. So there's that adjustment. There's the puck pressure adjustment in the game and the shift lengths. And so it's it's still going to take a little time for him to adjust uh, to be feel 100% uh, a penguin. But at the same time, while he's adjusting, he's also playing well and contributing, which is, uh, is what we like to see. Yeah. Jim, Pierre, and I were talking about it earlier in the podcast. You, as we're chatting today, you guys have surged into first place in the Metropolitan Division, and I'm not sure people have given Mike Sullivan his proper due since he's come to the Penguins. He's only won a couple of cups back-to-back, and what have you seen in him this season, especially after the disappointment of being swept by the Islanders in the first round last year? Is is he a different coach, or what? What have you seen from him? Because you guys have have battled through some some real significant adversity this year, and and there you are, right at the top of the division. Nothing's changed with Mike's coaching from the first day he got here. He always has his team well prepared. He really communicates. When there's issues with a player or a line or whatever it may be, he takes care of it immediately and takes care of it in a in a way that he lets the, the other person speak to whatever the issue is. And he's done a terrific job here from day one. The, re- the reason he doesn't get recognition is because the expectation is that the Penguins are supposed to win. And uh, mm-hmm. so... You know, it's it's almost like, well, it just happens. Well, it doesn't just happen. There's a lot of work to it. He's getting more recognition this year because everybody recognizes the adversity we've dealt with, with the injuries and the key injuries and the top players that are out. So he's getting the recognition that not only he deserves this year, but he's he's deserved since he's come to Pittsburgh. Now, Jim, there's still time before Monday's deadline uh, uh, to tinker if you felt like it. Um... Do you, I mean, do you think you'll you'll add another death piece uh, depending on your injuries, Jim, or is it still hard to tell? Well, it's twofold. Uh, on on defense, we will keep an eye on where Dumoulin and Marino are. Um, Dumoulin's back skating now. We're really encouraged by that. Marino will probably skate by the weekend. So by Saturday, we'll make a decision on on the defensemen as far as where their health is. And if we feel good about that, then uh, we'll pro- probably go with this defense. Up front, if we can add a little more experience uh, throughout our forward lines, uh, I'd be open to that. Um, it's it's not going to be one of those bigger deals like a Zucker deal. Um, but uh, um, the guys that have come in, like last night, our fourth line with Agostino and Lafferty and... Um, they and Angelo, they really did a nice job for us. But the games get harder and harder, and uh, we're going to get guys back. We'll get Bukestad back. We'll get Aston Reese back. That'll that'll take some of those spots. Um, if we have a long enough run, we we'll keep our fingers crossed on a Gunso return. I think that might be wishful thinking, but uh, we have that in the back of our mind. But Dad, Dad, another uh, NHL experience forward uh, uh, could be helpful to this group. Uh-huh. Jim, just before we let you go, I think it's interesting. <clears throat> All three of us are, are hockey dads, and uh, you and I happened to cross paths quite unexpectedly in a rink on the top of a hill out in the, I don't even know where we were outside of Pittsburgh last year, Jim, and you were out watching your son, and my son was in town for uh, uh, some some games. And I wonder what it's like for you, because your son's a goalie, and I wonder, do you 
what's it like for you to watch him, whether it's in a practice or a game? Does it bring, does it make you think of when you first strapped on the pads and were out um, at that age and, and, and dreaming the dream and what it's like for you to be not just a hockey dad, but the dad of a, of a goalie? Yeah, it, it brings back all those memories for me. You know, at this point in my life, I reflect a lot anyways, back to uh, my younger days. It just seems that it kind of comes with the territory when you get to my age. And then, you know, to have a son at this point in my life is very, really special and, and watch him grow, not only at school, but playing hockey. And I will say it's not as much fun for me watching him play goal because I'm nervous. I'm nervous for him, you know. And so I sit through the Penguins games, and when I'm not at a, when I'm not at the rink with the Penguins, I'm at the rink with my son. So I'm pretty much at the rink every day. But, but what's what's fun for me too is to watch his teammates and how they improve and and meet new parents. You know, the hockey community is such a great community. You meet great people. He meets great people. He new friends all the time. And he just loves to play, so that uh, that makes me very happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim, my last question for you is: speaking of you know friends and people that you've that you've been close to over the years, uh, your old haunts in Carolina were awarded an outdoor game for next year, Jim. And um, I wonder if you ever thought uh, when the team moved to Hartford to Carolina that there'd be an outdoor NHL game in Carolina one day. But uh, tells you the growth of that market, which you were a big part of. Uh, but I'm wondering: Is uh, are you and you and Mario Lemieux and everyone in the Penguins putting your hat in there and trying to convince Gary Bettman to get uh, Jim Rutherford as the visiting team in that outdoor game? Well, that that's the league and Carolina's choice, and then we'd certainly be open to going there and playing the game. But I'm really happy to see the growth there. Their their team has really improved. They're young; they'll be good for a long time. And uh, to have an outdoor game is very special. You know, when I was there, um, when I first went there, I, I watched that stadium being expanded. It wasn't even as big as it is now. And then the whole market with the growth there, with the amount of people moving there and more interest in, in the sport, it's, it, it's, it's going to be a great event for the Hurricanes. Uh, good stuff. Well, Jim, it has been a treat to have you aboard here. And thanks for putting up for Pierre twice in one week. So that's a bonus. <laughs> Kudos to you for that. Well, Pierre's one of my favorite guys. So it's it's easy easy to come on with, with you, Scott and Pierre. I, I always enjoy it. Thank you. Good. All right. Thanks great. Thanks, us. Jim. Appreciate okay, it. Okay, guys. Take care. Yeah, take care. See, I think it's nice. See, Jim doesn't mind talking to you twice in one week. And uh, that was, you know what? He's just uh, such a gentleman and uh, well-deserving, of course, of, of being in the Hall of Fame. Th- built three Stanley Cup winners, of course, once in, one in Carolina, two in, in Pittsburgh. And uh, it's, it's a, they're a fascinating team, I got to tell you. And not just because they've just, you know, edged ahead of Washington in the first place, but... Um, I really thought after last spring that that might have been a team that we were going to start to see in decline, sort of like I, the I wondered too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And man, they are, there's just something about them that's uh, like I think they're going to be a handful. I don't know whether they can, you know, can they get through Washington? Could they beat a Boston or a Tampa? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I think they are going to be a much different team than we saw, frankly, who were embarrassed by the Islanders last year. So what? What what do you make of them? I think you know what Jim Rutherford a couple of times now since he's gotten to Pittsburgh has has you know reshaped that team around the big guys right. I mean it yep. takes a lot of acumen to, to be able to do that and um you know and, you know trading away a lot of draft picks but then finding gems elsewhere you know finding players elsewhere that can come in and be part of their depth and that's the only way you can do it without paying the penalty at some point for trading away all those draft picks so it really has been unbelievable work by Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh and and it's nice it's funny because I, I you know when when he stepped down as GM in Carolina as you may remember Scotty you know at the time he was I think 65 and it was sort of well I guess he's you know he's going into the you know he's kind of retiring sort of right yeah. I mean he, he still had the president's role but it was the sense of oh you know he's not going to be GM anymore it lasted like six weeks <laughs> he, he resurfaced as GM in Pittsburgh but I think the opportunity for him and and to further cement his Hall of Fame legacy is that and and he he would never complain about this during his time in Carolina but you know he, they didn't have money there 
right? Yeah. And when he was GM in Carolina, like they they want a cup despite it, amazingly. But there were so many years where he had to dismantle some rosters because of financial reasons. And and I think what's been great in Pittsburgh is that he's been able to just worry about hockey and and, and just be a GM and make hockey decisions. And I think you've seen the byproduct of that with a couple Stanley Cups. Uh, all right, so we say this every week, and you should obviously be subscribing to The Athletic. You, you, you should. Um, but you should also rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And so if you click on the show's URL, which is theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. So you should go and do that. And, buddy, when we talk next week, oh, all, it will all yeah. be over. You, you'll still be hungover when we talk. Well, maybe not hungover. But you, you'll still be in. You'll be in recovery mode. We, when we should we talk one next. of these days. We're, we're we're way too professional. We're always doing doing these podcasting business hours. But one of these days, that's a should, relative we, we term. Do one, we should do one. while drinking a bottle of wine. One of these days. I don't know. What do you think? Right, count me in. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, next week when we reconvene, the dust will have cleared. Uh, and always keep up the uh, the good work. And uh, I look forward to it, my friend. Right on. Right on.